Amen. You can remain standing uh, for the scripture reading today. Uh, we're going to be reading just simply two short verses from Genesis chapter 1. Uh, Genesis 1 verses 26 and 27 uh, say this. Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over the earth and over all every creeping things that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Let's pray. You can be seated. Father, we thank you for the chance uh, to come to worship and to sing your praises, even as we've just done. God, we come to you today uh, not from a place uh, of earning this opportunity. God, we know that on our own, we have done nothing to be able to come into your presence. God, we come today solely based on grace, solely based on what you have done and what you have accomplished through your Son. God, we come today humbled, and especially humbled uh, approaching difficult subjects like facing uh, race issues in our world today. God, we don't come today uh, having everything figured out or uh, a perfect plan for everything we're supposed to do, but we come today in the confidence of your word, that your word is true and right and good. So we come to this uh, moment today, God, just begging for humility in our own hearts and begging for your power, the power of your word to speak boldly into our lives. Lord, we love you, and we so desperately need you. In Jesus' name, amen. This morning, I want to start uh, this message and this sermon series with two pictures for you. I want to give you two, two descriptions, two contrasting, two very different pictures uh, of things that uh, happen. The first picture I want to give you, I don't have to try very hard to describe to you because it's the world we live in. And that picture, that world, the world that we live in, uh, is the, the world you see uh, when you turn on the news uh, or scroll through your social media feed uh, around any and all topics related to race in our country and in our world. Uh, there are stories and incidents and facts and opinions, and then stories and incidents and facts and opinions about all those things that were stories and incidents and facts and opinions. There are uh, emotional pleas in one direction or another. There are uh, protests about an issue that lead then to counter-protest and escalating tension. There are some things done peacefully, other things done in violence, and it is ratcheting up in many ways uh, around us. And it kind of ebbs and flows depending on the month and season uh, with whatever is going on. Uh, we as a nation have certainly made tremendous progress in many areas around issues of how different people of different races relate to one another, and yet the issue hasn't gone away. So apparently we're still, we're still trying to figure this out. Uh, just as uh, you know, Dan and I were talking, and he was, he was very helpful. He said you know, his dad was a pastor about my age, in the 60s, in the middle of the civil rights era. And so him having to, to, to tread through those waters 
much like we are uh, today. Race issues, of course, go back. Uh, they're not just limited to our country. I mean, think of the Holocaust was really around different issues of race and ethnicity. You know, halfway across the world, six million Jewish people were killed just because of their ethnicity, their race, their religion. Or go back a lot further than that. 3,500 years ago, Pharaoh enslaved all of Israel's descendants just because they weren't Egyptian. And for 400 years, they were in slavery. So this is not a new picture, but it is in many ways uh, our current picture. It's, it's unrest. It's unease. It's, this is hard. So that's one picture. But I want to give you a second picture, and it's a lot better. A lot better. It comes from the Bible, and Lord willing, this is where we'll end up. I want to go ahead and give it to you now, but Lord willing, this is where we'll end at the end of this month of August through this series. It's the picture from Revelation 4, 5, 6, and 7 about what it's going to be like in the end. If you've read through those chapters, many people steer away from Revelation, but, but a lot of these early chapters, are they're easy to read, and they're beautiful descriptions of what it's going to be like. That picture of eternity pictures Jesus sitting on a throne. And it's not just any old throne. This throne is described with all kinds of stones and emeralds. and all. It's just a, a beautiful throne. And Jesus is sitting on it, and there is lightning and thunder, and that place is just shaking with His glory and His majesty. And there's so much glory and majesty that there are these, these angelic beings. Some are described like an ox or a lion or an eagle. And they are praising God. They are saying, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might. And that there are angels. It says multitudes, thousands and thousands, singing that song, praising God for who He is. There are elders, these leaders and representatives who have bowed down to the throne and they've taken off their crowns because they're worshiping the one true King. There's all these angelic beings all worshiping Jesus for who He is. And included in that divine, heavenly, angelic worship service are some people. A lot of them. And this is what it says. It says they are from every tribe and language and people and nation. Revelation 7 even says that they're a multitude beyond number from every people group of the earth. And they too, like the angelic beings and the beast and the, the elders, they too are singing, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Jesus is this lion, this king, but He's also this Lamb who was slain to make all of that possible. What, a, what an incredible and beautiful picture of what it's going to be like, this, this angelic moment of coming to worship God. And included in that is people from everywhere that look all kinds of different ways and speak all kinds of different languages from all over the world coming to worship the one true God. So those are your two pictures. The world we live in today and the world that has been around for basically ever and heaven. Those are the two pictures I want to give you today. Unfortunately, our, our world all too infrequently looks like heaven. There are, there are times, and I've been in, mom in moments like this, you hopefully have been in moments, even just something as simple as the Thanksgiving service we did here in Fountain Inn that I got to be a part of this year. I mean, there are, there are powerful moments where we come together, even, even just the diversity in our own body. It's just a beautiful moment that every Sunday we get to worship. But, but all the picture all around the world 
all the different kinds of worship. In many ways, our world doesn't get it. Many of our, uh, of our places around the world just, just don't look like heaven as much, as much as we would like to. Why, why is that? Why does it have to be this way? What, what happened? How did we get here? And is there any way forward? Is there any way forward? Now, I, I know that as soon as I, I mention the word race in church, uh, there's a whole bunch of different reactions, and you're, you're probably a little bit on edge. Believe me, I am too. We're going to make it through together. Uh, but I, I, know, I know that there are, are maybe some, some skepticism or some concerns, uh, even before we even start, really. Maybe it's your concern that this, this would lead into some kind of agenda, whether it be a social or political agenda, whether you're you know, worried it's going to go politically left or politically right, whichever way you may be concerned. Maybe you're concerned that we'd get caught up in some kind of modern social movement. Maybe you're thinking, hey, this really isn't an issue that needs to be addressed, not in church, we just need to leave it out. Maybe you're thinking, hey, look, if we just say Jesus is the answer, we can just move on, uh, you know, wh- whatever it is. Maybe thinking all these kind of different things that may come up. Uh, uh, the reality we're living in right now is that you are, are, are under attack, or, or maybe that's too combative, but you are receiving lots of different thoughts and opinions from everywhere right now. There are lots, uh, uh, there's a growing movements in different directions they give you thoughts and opinions about how races should relate to one another and how we're supposed to move forward. And there are plenty of good ideas and theories and stuff that, that good that can come from those things, but we as Christians want to make sure that the top priority and the foundation we stand on is the authority of the Word of God in every issue of our life, especially issues where the, the, the politics and the society and the culture are, are at odds. When we're trying to, 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 to listen to all these different voices and say, who, who's right and who's wrong? and what, We need to make sure that we're saying, I, I want first and foremost to be listening to the voice of God, to God's Word. And so that's why, even though this is not the regular practice of our preaching ministry here, we thought it was worth taking a few weeks to say, this is, this is going on in the world, and we want to make sure that we're grounding ourselves in the Word of God, that God's Word is what's informing our thoughts and our opinions. Because so many times, if you're like me, I'll get caught in a conversation, and, and I, don't, I haven't really thought through that specific issue. And I'll have to stop and go, okay, wait, what does the Bible say about that? And so this is a moment for us to do that together. And, and really, the solution, of course, it's always Jesus, right? The solution is the gospel. And so that's why I've titled this series, The Gospel and Race. And you'll notice very intentionally, gospel is a lot bigger on your screen than race. And the order is intentional, gospel and race. And so uh, throughout this, I think definitions are critical. So let's start with defining just those two words, the gospel and race. The gospel is simply the good news, right? It's the good news that Jesus, the eternal Son of God, was born lived the perfect life, died for our sins, but then was resurrected and vindicated and ascended back to be with the Father so that we could know God. And all of that was in accordance with the Scriptures. Or you could go back a little further. You could say the gospel is the good news that though this world was created perfect, man, woman, Adam and Eve, and all of us ever since have sinned and broken this world, 
But Jesus entered in to redeem it and to restore it and to make it right once more. Or you could simply say the gospel is that Jesus is the king. He's the king. And on this path to his kingship, he, the eternal son was sent by the father in fulfillment of Old Testament prophecies. And he took on human flesh in the line of King David. He died a, a death in our place, a substitutionary death that atoned for our sins when he died on the cross, was buried, raised, and witnessed. People, people saw his resurrection, and then he was enthroned at the right hand of the Father, and the Spirit was sent to guide us and direct us. Or you could just sum up the gospel in these four words, creation, fall, redemption, and restoration. And that's the outline I want to use as we go through this. Each week, gospel, we're going to take one of those things, creation, fall, redemption, and restoration, to see how this applies to the issue of race. So that's the gospel. But what about race? How, how do we even begin to define that? And I have to start by saying race is not a biblical word, at least not in the way that we use it today. In some sense, you could say the way that race is used in the Bible is that there is just one human race, Amen. that we all come from God through Adam and Eve and then through Noah, so we are all one human race. That is the biblical idea of what it means to be humanity, and that's what we're going to talk about here today. But when you go out in the world, that's not how most people use the word race, right? That's not the way you, you hear it uh, in our everyday speak. Uh, so I acknowledge that even to def talk about race is not to talk about, to talk about race the way our culture does is not to be taking the definition from the Bible. So I know that's, we got to be cautious about that. The way the Bible talks about people being different from one another, and that's a good thing. We'll talk about that, the glory of God creating all these different people. The Bible talks about ethnicity. The Bible talks about language. The Bible talks about nationalities, people groups, but doesn't talk about race. Historically speaking, and I, this, is, you know, this is, again, not my field, but from what I can tell, what I've done my homework on, race is a relatively new historical concept. Previously, you go back uh, to, to hundreds and thousands of years ago, those biblical categories, things like what country you're from, what language you speak, what, what socioeconomic status, that's, you know, again, these are not necessarily good differentiations, but those are the things that separated people. From the best I can tell, race was a kind of a Western American concept that came into being and description in a common world with the advent of the African slave trade in the Western world. That became the moment where people were distinguished just on skin color, the free or enslaved. And so even the idea of race is a, a scarred and terrible history. But the world we live in speaks of race. The world we live in talks about people of different race, as shallow of a distinction as it is. Race is simply, the way our world uses it, just a description of different skin color or maybe different features like, like hair. This, these are shallow, simple distinctions. But the world we live in separates people on that. And so when we take this issue of the gospel and race, we're not saying necessarily that race is a, a good way to distinguish people. We're saying, how does the gospel speak into the fact that our world is distinguishing and separating people by race. So my task for you today, for, for today, is to talk about this first step of the gospel, creation, 
and how it speaks into the way our, the way our world uses this idea of race. That should be easy, right? Actually, this one is a little bit clearer than some of the other ones. Uh, the Bible is really clear on this, really, really clear on creation. And so here's the, the truth. Uh, I want to give you the very first outline, uh, point on your outline. All people of all races are created in the image of God. I'm going to say that again. All people of all races are created in the image of God. And that's what we're saying when the Bible talks about, really, we're one human race. We have far more in common with every other human in the world than we are different than them. Because of this core thing about our identity, the way we were created, we were created in the image of God. As we read in verse 26, it says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. And then verse 27, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. So from the beginning, every single human that has been created and ever will be created has been created in the image of God. Male, Adam, was created in God's image. And female, Eve, also created in God's image. And it's important to realize that that didn't go away after they sinned. You can turn over to Genesis chapter 9, which is after the, the flood. So lots of sin has happened by, by Genesis chapter 9. And there God warns Noah against murder. He says, this is not a good thing. And the reason he says that, this is Genesis 9, uh, 6, he says, for God made man in his own image. So that's important. Because even after sin has entered the world and people are evil, he still says, these people who are sinners are created in the image of God. Therefore, you shouldn't murder them. So we can take that out, take that concept from Adam and Eve, Noah, and everybody ever since, and say that all people of every race, nation, tribe, language, tongue, gender, everything, every single human being that's ever been conceived is created in the image of God. If you follow the account in Genesis chapter 1, it follows day by day the way that God is creating the world. When you get to day 4, He creates the, the, the things that are in the skies, the celestial bodies, the sun and the moon and the stars. And if you're here over the summer, we spent one time talking about just the incredible how incredible the stars were, right? In day 5, He creates all the birds of the air, and all the fish of the sea. Just think about all the different species of animals that includes. Day six, the first part of the day, he creates all the, the animals that walk on the earth. And my, my kids are really into wild crats. I don't know if you've got young kids that watch all this. I can tell you all kinds of things about animals, my kids. I mean, the, the species of the world. And it's incredible, all the things God has created. But God doesn't dwell there as long as he does on the next part of the account of creation. I, I picture that if I was making this into a movie or to some kind of production of some kind, that everything would slow down right there halfway through day six. There'd be a pause. Maybe the music would pause, but then it would slowly speed up again. There'd be this upbeat, exciting melody for what comes on the second part of day six. The second part of day six is the, the climax, the, the most glorious part of creation. It's God's favorite part. Of creation. It's more glorious and more significant than the sun itself. 
It is more majestic than all the stars and all the galaxies. It is more glorious than the oceans and the mountains, the dolphins and the hummingbirds. It's more amazing than that. It's us. It's humanity. Male and female are the climax of creation because we uniquely are the only ones created in the image of God. Everything else God created and He said it was good, but after He creates humanity, He says it is very good. Because this is His heart and soul. He has given us of Himself and He is so proud of us. He loves us because He created us in His own image. I want you, want you to hear that and I want you to feel that first and foremost for yourself. That you, you can put your name in that blank, I, Philip, am created in the image of God. Wow! That God would view us as the greatest of His creation. That is the powerful truth of the creation account of the gospel. you got to hear that first and foremost before you can understand anything else in this conversation, that we are created in the image of God. Now, if you've been around the church, the Bible, maybe that's a, a phrase you've heard and you just kind of accept that, but it's worth pausing for a minute to say, okay, what, what does that really mean for us to be created in the image of God? He, he's obviously distinguishing us from everything else. We're not like the animals, the lions, the, the bears, the snakes. There's something different about us. What, what is it? Well, one, one way we're unique is that we have a unique capacity for things like intelligence and rationality. We can think. We, we, we can make moral, ethical decisions. We can, we can observe beauty. We can worship. All those are, those are capacities that we have that nothing else has. But what's important is we can't press that too far because we just said every single person is creating the image of God. My 10-month-old can't ration a whole bunch. She can't worship really yet. She can't really observe something that's beautiful. But she is absolutely, and I'll fight you for this, <laughs> she's absolutely created in the image of God at 10 months old. So we can't just limit it to, to, to our mental capacities. The same, this is an important one. For anybody who's born with or develops any kind of mental or physical handicap, they aren't less image bearers. They aren't less created in God's image because their mind doesn't develop fully like somebody else would. So we can't press that one too far. Another way that we are unique is that we alone have a capacity for a relationship with God. Solomon writes in Ecclesiastes that God has put eternity into the hearts of men. We have this innate desire. Every religion, every culture around the world, they're all seeking out. We know something bigger is going on. We have this spiritual sense about us. And that is unique to us. My dog is not trying to figure out you know, who created the world and you know, figure out all these you know, important questions. This is a unique thing about humanity. But again, even if somebody flat out rejects God or is passionately agnostic. They say, hey, nobody can know, you know, whatever. They too are created in the image of God. We, we, are, we have the capacity to grow in 
God, to be like God in certain ways, in His holiness, to be loving and gracious and good and kind. We have that capacity. But even if somebody is none of those things, they too are created in the image of God. Another unique aspect of God's creation is that we are given the call to have dominion over the earth, to subdue it, to rule, to work the land, to, to do productive things as we spread around a part of, uh, throughout creation. Sometimes uh, the comparable uh, image is made to the way in the ancient Near East culture, uh, they would make statues and put them in lands where, where they ruled and they reigned to signify their, their authority and their dominion. So sometimes people come to the image of God and say, hey, we're like these divine statues that display God in the world. And that, that, that is a good and helpful image. We are, we are representatives of God. But then again, what, what if you don't? What if you don't reflect God? What if your entire life is completely against God? What if you're a terrorist out to destroy people? Even still, you are created in the image of God. Every single person, no matter race, tribe, language, holiness, ethical decisions, good, bad, poor, rich, anything, doesn't matter. Nothing can stop this. From the beginning, you don't have a choice in it. You don't get to choose. You are created in the image of God. Our sin doesn't stop it. Our decisions don't stop it. Nothing stops it. So, so what is it? What, what does it mean to be created in the image of God? All those things are parts of it. Those capacities are part of it. But I, I did probably more reading than I should this week and over the last couple of months because I really want to get my head around this. And here's, here's where I landed. Being created in the image of God means we are the ones whom God loves. That's it. Humanity. We are the ones created in the image of God, meaning humans are the one whom God loves. Yes, we're going to have capacities to do things other animals would, but it's simply about, not, it's not about something we do, it's not about something we accomplish, it's not about something we, we, we have the capacity to do. First and foremost, it's not about something we do, it's about who we are. We are loved by God. That's what it means to be created in the image of God. Wow. The creator of it all. He looks at you and me and says, you're, you're my, the, the best of my creation. You are created in my image. There's something beautiful about that in and of itself. And I think if you had, you can have one more layer on top of that too. Because what's cool is that of the 7.8 billion people on the earth right now, and the billions, how I many ever, you know, that came before now, there's never been two of you. There have never been two identical people. How can we all be created in the image of God and yet none of us be identical? Isn't that incredible? God apparently, from the very beginning, as He created male in His image and female in His image, he was saying something about His nature, about this infinite God that we worship, that there could be 7.8 or 20 billion, I don't know how many people have ever lived, there could be all these billions of people, and He doesn't have to be repeated. He doesn't run out of things to display. He can keep showing Himself. That's how much love He has. He can, he can say, you, person number one and person number eight billion, all of you, I love all of you, because you're created in my image. That's, that's amazing. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, young and old, black and white. He created them in his image. 
It's hard to say just how revolutionary it was in the ancient culture for female to be entered into that, that verse. You and I accept that as we should, as normal. But this, of course, male and female both created His image. But in that day, when Moses wrote that down, nobody else was saying that. Nobody else was saying that. This is a revolutionary concept for him to look at two different people, two different genders that the rest of the world and so many different cultures have put on different planes of value and importance. And for Moses, for the Bible to say, both, created in the image of God. Different, gloriously different, and both in the image of God. God got that idea. You know where God got that idea? Of different and yet incredibly and beautifully equal in His sight? He got it from Himself. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. God is one. He is one unique, perfect being. And yet He expresses it. He is three distinct persons. We call that the Trinity. And God has this perfect unity and perfect fellowship and perfect community within Himself. And there is not one God above the other. It's not different gods. It's not different levels. God the Father is not greater than God the Son. God the Holy Spirit is not less than any. They're all one God. It's just one God. Perfect fellowship and unity and one being. And God decided to display, display that in the world, starting off with male and female to display His glory. But God, of course, wasn't limited to just two people and one distinction by gender. As he multiplied and sent people across the world, he said, I'm going to display my glory, not just in different genders, but in different hair colors and different eye colors and different skin colors and different languages and different cultures and different musics and different celebrations of all kinds of different things. And if you've been other places around the world, especially if you've worshiped with Christians somewhere else, you, you get a bigger picture of who God is when you see them worship. I remember the very first time I was in Juarez, Mexico as a ninth grader. And my little world just like quadrupled in size. Because I was watching in this little concrete hut type thing, this church worship in a language I didn't speak a lick of, but I knew it was the same God. And I said, this, this is incredible. I, I better understood how big God was because I saw Him worship by people who didn't look like me or talk like me or act like me either. But we worship the same God. All people of all races are created in the image of God. And that has profound implications for how we live, doesn't it? <laughs> that has huge implications for how we live. And we could simply say it this way. Treat all people of all races as they are ones who are created in the image of God. Treat all people of all races as created in the image of God. Christians have a uniquely biblical view of humanity. When we can look at anybody and everybody and say, you're an image bearer of God. That means for Christians, we have an important, distinct way that we relate to one another. When we look at any other person, we are looking at a unique creation of God, a person whom God loves. doesn't matter what they've done. doesn't matter who they are or where they're from. They are created in the image of God. 
And so as we interact with one another, we've got to remember who they belong to and who, whose they are, who loves them. Not just who they love or how they act, but who loves them. You know, I, I, it doesn't matter what my kids do for the rest of their lives, to the best of my ability, they will always be my kids. And I so much appreciate the way you love my kids. I know it's primarily because they're cute. I get that. But you also, I watch them. You, you res- I watch you. I, you respect and love and honor my kids because they are my kids. You, you love me well by loving my kids well. Not just because they're good behavior. Because we all know, you know. <laughs> but you love them because of who they are and whose they are. And that's a lot easier sometimes with a cute six-year-old girl than it is with somebody who's yelling at you through the phone or whatever else on the road or whatever. You know what I mean? And we as Christians have to be the ones in our world who can stop and say, no matter what you're doing, no matter what you're saying, I know you are created in the image of God. And based on that and nothing else, I'm going to treat you as one who is created by God. We can't wait for the world to do that for us. We shouldn't look to the media or to your social media feed to try to be taught that. It's not going to happen. The world around you isn't going to affirm God's majesty in creation and His love for His people. The world around you is going to tell you all kinds of other things. But the Bible tells us, created in the image of God. We said that even if our, our capacity to reflect God's image is limited, we are still created in His image. So when it comes to treating people based on their, their innate God-given being created by Him, it, it has implications for, for all the different kinds of people in the world, doesn't it? It has implications for the unborn child, for the young child, for the handicapped, for the elderly, all of them fully created in the image of God. Even if our moral decisions are wrong. So creating somebody uh, or how we react, to how we treat somebody who is a, 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 an avid atheist or a convicted criminal or a terrorist, all created in the image of God. We stand for what's right and holy and good and just, but we never let our convictions in one area lead us into sin into another. And the, the word maybe that best summarizes this is we treat all people with dignity, don't we? We're called to treat all people with dignity. We want to make sure that applies, especially in this day and age, to people who have a different skin color than us. Why would we exclude that category? The most simple and superficial of categories and say, no, I'm not going to treat you the same just because of this issue. This is a a, a more complete description of what it means to be truly pro-life. And I I choose that intentionally, pro-life as Christians. We we as Christians are pro-life because we know that God is the author of life And we know that He has created every single being ever conceived, every single human ever conceived in His image. So that means we are pro the unborn life. We want to do everything we can to support and help and encourage that unborn life that can't care for itself yet. 
But we are also then, of course, pro-birth mom, because that's a life too. We want to make sure we do everything we can to support and encourage this mom as she goes through pregnancy, whether she wanted it or not, or however she got pregnant. We're pro-foster care lives. We're pro-adoption lives when kids need help. We're pro-birth parents who have made bad decisions and lost their kids. Those are lives too. We want to care for those lives. We are pro the elderly life, wanting the absolute best quality of care and dignity all the way through life to the very end. We are pro the convicted criminal's life, wanting the best opportunities for rehabilitation and restoration to give them every chance to live a dignified life, even if they've got a history and a past. We are pro the impoverished life. doesn't matter whether they got there because they chose some bad decisions or whether the circumstances of the world put them there. It's a life created in the image of God. We are pro that life. We're pro the black life. We're pro the white life. We're pro the Asian life. We're pro the Latino life. We're pro all life. We want all life to flourish because it's created in the image of God. All of them, all of us, every single life is somebody that God has said, I created you in my image, and I love you. All those categories, race, socioeconomic status, age, life choices, all those categories from all those different spectrums and everywhere else you could you know, imagine, all of them, we have more in common than we have differences. We're all sinners in need of a Savior, and Jesus is the Savior that all of us need. We're all created in His image. So we're probably better off talking less about they and them and pointing fingers and getting angry. We're probably better off using inclusive language like we and us and acknowledging our own problems. We're probably better off avoiding generalizations or jumping to conclusions about people based on the worst representation of whatever category. We're better off acknowledging things we have in common and seeking that common ground. And if that feels overwhelming and impossible, like, okay, yeah, this all sounds good, but do you know the people I interact with? Like, if that sounds impossible, then you're probably listening very well today. <laughs> it is humanly impossible. It isn't easy. But Jesus did it. And we know him. And he knows us. And we love him. The only way we can treat all people of all races as created in the image of God is if we do this. If we look to Jesus, the perfect image of God. You see, we never lose our being in the image of God, but we don't always display that real well. But Jesus did it perfectly. Colossians 1.15 says, He is the image of the invisible God. Jesus is fully God. He displayed that in human form in the perfect way, the only perfect life ever lived. And He did that with incredible, incredible obedience. He did it in fellowship with the Father. He did it in obedience to the Father's will. And He did it with a love for all people. That's what being in the image of God looks like. Knowing God, obeying God, and loving our neighbor. Whether they be Jew, Samaritan, man, woman, adult, child, Jesus had interactions with them all. And he loved them all. Because that's what humanity looks like. And there's a story recorded in Matthew, Mark, and Luke where a, uh, somebody comes to Jesus and they're trying to trick him. You know, they always try to trick him. And they bring him a question. They say, hey, should we pay taxes to Caesar? And he, in his infinite wisdom, says, you know, show me a coin. Show me a Daenerys. 
Daenerys. And they, he said, whose, whose image, whose likeness and description is on the coin? And that word for image is the same word, the Greek word that would connect to the Hebrew word in Genesis 1.27 when Jesus said, or when God said he created man and woman in his image. So he said, whose image is on the coin? And I say Caesar. And so then he says this, give to Caesar what is Caesar's. So that coin, that, it's got his image on it, give it to him. But give to God what is God's. What has God's image on it? I do. And so do you. He's saying, yeah, give your money to Caesar. Caesar's asking for it, fine. You know, have it. But God's asking for something far bigger. He's asking for all of you. He's asking for your entire life because you are created in the image of God. We on our own will never be able to do that in our own strength. We will continue to hurt other people as long as we try to live out of our own strength. But if we can come to God and say, it's incredible, God, that you've created me in your image. I want to love others like you love me. By the power of the Holy Spirit inside of us, we can live that out. All people of all races are created in the image of God. Let's pray. God, we're mindful today that you are so gracious. You have given us so many good gifts. Most importantly, God, from the beginning of time, you have created us in your image. And so, God, we come to you today saying thank you. Thank you for knowing us and loving us despite what you know of us. God, we confess that it's so easy for us to talk poorly of people, to think poorly of people, to treat people poorly, especially if there's something different about them. But God, we come to you today confessing that sin and saying, along with the Bible, that we have far more in common with all of our brothers and sisters around the world than we have differences. So Lord, convict our hearts of where we don't treat your children as your children. Convict our heart where we don't treat fellow image bearers as fellow image bearers. And draw us instead to you, that we may, like your Son, reflect your image more perfectly. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Mm -hmm.